0: Welcome into the latest installment of the Sharpshooters Podcast. I'm David Schuster. He, of course, is Mark Shanowski. And all you need to know about the two of us is that we've been, between the two of us, we've been covering basketball for seven decades, Mark. And a lot of years even before that, we were both junkies growing up, hoop junkies. And I'm jealous of you because you grew up in Milwaukee. And I don't know if I've ever told this to you, but... You know, you grew up watching the ch- first championship that he was Lou El Cinder then, before he became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he teamed up with Oscar Robertson, and you were a young lad at that time. That must have been a heck of a thrill.
1: Well, it was crazy when the bull- the Bucks first came into existence uh, in 1968. It was just a ragtag group, you know, a bunch of that washed up veterans and a, and a couple of young rookies and free agents that they signed. and, and they were horrible. They won 20some games and uh, they finished last in the Eastern Conference. And so they went into a uh, draft pick situation, or excuse me, a coin flip situation with the Phoenix Suns to see who would get the first pick in the draft. And the luck would be that was the year that Lou Cinder was graduating from UCLA. So everyone knew whoever won that coin flip was going to become instantly a whole lot better. And they went from like 20-some wins to 56 uh, the next year. Then they made a trade uh, for Oscar Robertson, and they won 66 games and the NBA championship in 1970-71. So in the third year of the franchise's existence, they won the
0: NBA championship, and they haven't won one since. So I'm still waiting. Well, they had, you know they had some other good players as you know you well know Mark. I mean Bobby Dandridge was a heck of a player. You know I, I can't remember if he was on the championship teams, but I think it was Toby Kimball there and and was it John Block was that it was his name and and was Flynn Robinson there. So I mean they had some other names on the, those teams. Yeah, you're mixing and matching some different eras. Oh, yes. Flynn Robinson <laughs> was
1: actually traded to the Royals in the Oscar Robertson deal. He okay. was their leading scorer in the second year of existence. Uh, he came over from the Bulls, and he was a pretty remarkable scorer. But that team that won the championship, it was Alcindor in the middle. They had Bobby Dandridge and Greg Smith at the forwards, and it was Oscar Robertson and John McLaughlin at the guards with uh, Lucius
0: Allen and Bob Boozer coming off the bench. That was their their core seven. Now, was that also the year, Mark, when they won the championship that they also knocked off the Lakers, who had that incredible, what was it a 33 game winning streak? And it was a Sunday afternoon. Is that that same season?
1: That was the following year. Okay. That was when
0: the Lakers put together that unbelievable record and set the
1: NBA record for victories with 69. And they had won 33 games in a row. They came to Milwaukee and the Bucs knocked them off. But uh, the Lakers beat the Bucks in the playoffs. Because back then, the, uh, the Bucks and the Bulls were in the Western Conference, and they, so they had to get through L.A. to try to get to the finals, and L.A. was unbeatable that year. Uh, that was Will Chamberlain and Jerry West. Elgin Baylor retired at the beginning of that season, so he didn't get a chance to be around for the championship. But, yeah, those were, those were interesting times. And then, uh, you know, Don Nelson came in in the mid-'70s, and they were really good for about another decade before that kind of fell apart. So, you know, they've had a pretty good history of basketball in Milwaukee. Had a great chance to win the title two years ago. You know, when Golden State had all the injuries, had they beaten Toronto in that Eastern Conference Finals when they were up two games to none, they probably would have won the championship that year.
0: Well, I'm jealous that you got to see Lewell Cinder. I mean, he's still one of the greatest players, obviously, of all time. Even before he became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and Oscar Robertson was at the tail end of his career, but. Two Hall of Famers on the on the same court, on the same team at the same time. That must have been a heck of a thrill. But we're here today, of course, to talk about the Bulls. And, uh, you know, the last time we talked, they were on that Western Conference swing. They went one and three. They easily could have won all four games. And then they come back and uh, have two games. The first one on the road against Dallas, they win. Then they come back and play Houston at home at the United Center. They win that one. So, you know, honestly, Mark, I think the Bulls are playing some pretty decent basketball nowadays. The record is up to six and eight.
1: Yeah, and you look at their offensive statistics, very impressive. Right now, they're fourth in the league in scoring at about 117 and a half points. And Billy Donovan, to his credit, you know, didn't try to force square pegs into round holes. He's making sure that the guys can use the talents that they're blessed with. He's not banning the mid-range jumper like we saw last season. You know, you're seeing guys play to their strengths. They're using Thaddeus Young out of the post where he's most effective, where he was so good at Indiana before he came to the Bulls. And, you know, the ball's moving. We're seeing the, uh, you know, side-to-side ball movement, good um, unselfish play where the ball winds up in the hand of an open shooter. We saw that over and over again in the Houston game where they just moved the ball faster than Houston's defense could adjust, and they got a lot of good looks. And one of the encouraging things in that game on Monday night was the fact that Zach Levine made an extra pass to Lowry Markinen. He knocked down the three, and I think that's a real good sign of growth for Zach that he realizes that it doesn't have to fall on his shoulders to make the winning shot in every close game situation. It's okay to move the ball along one more time and get a better look. And and Markkinen knocked down the three that, that really clinched that win over Houston. And, and I think, Zach, you know, it's his seventh year in the league, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer for guys to accept the fact that I am enormously talented, but I'm going to need the help of my teammates. And I think, Zach, those lessons are starting to finally come through.
0: 100% in agreement. And we're going to hear from Zach and Billy Donovan and Thad Young. And and I want to talk about uh, Zach Levine because in these last two games, you know, he was um, obviously instrumental in both wins, but in different ways against Dallas, he had 10 points and 10 assists. He wasn't looking to score. And then against Houston, he was looking to score. He had 33 points and 7 assists. And, you know, we talked about this last week, Mark, because in you know, our good friend, Joe Colley, and we both have respect for Joe, but I disagree with him. And I think you do, too. He does not think that Zach Levine is an elite player. You and I do.
1: Yeah, I think Zach Levine, you know, he's fifth in the league in scoring and he makes it look easy. You know, it's it's not that he's straining to make really difficult shots. He just rises up over guys and scores like all the elite players in the league are able to do. The knock on Zach, of course, has been that sometimes his attention wanders on the defensive end. He gets back cut. He doesn't pay attention to what's going on away from the ball, but he's even putting in more effort on that end of the floor to be a a more positive player. He had 10 assists in their win over Dallas on Sunday, only took eight shots in that game. And then he had an incredible game against Houston where it was 11 of 16 from the field to score 33 points. He also had seven assists, including that play I talked about where Markin hit the clinching jumper. So I think Zach has shown signs of growth every year he's been with the Bulls. Now he's got a coach who's going to communicate with him, who's going to challenge him to be better on both ends of the court. And I
0: think we're going to see the best of Zach Levine throughout this season and hopefully in years to come. Yeah, the numbers say that he is an elite player. He is, uh, as you mentioned, Mark, he's fifth in the league in scoring, a little over 27 points a game. But he's also averaging five assists and five rebounds. So he's filling up the stat sheet. The one number where I'm sure he's not happy about Four turnovers a game. But listen, when you're on the court as much as he is and you're one of the principal ball handlers, you're going to have turnovers. But he knows he's got to get that down. 51% overall from the field, 41% from three. I think that would be a career high as of right now. So, again, the numbers say to me for sure, and so does my eye test more than anything else, that he's an elite player. Anyway, let's hear from some of the people in the Bulls organization. Let's start with his head coach. Here's Billy Donovan, who says Zach is playing his best ball so far this season, right now. Yeah, I, mean, I thought Zach, you know, the last couple of games has been, you know, really good. I, I think that he's really kind of coming into the last two games trying to play the right way, you know, trying to make the right decisions. I, I think the thing for him is, you know, how does he really stay aggressive uh, and, and also just read the defense? You know, there's times where uh, I think he's really, you know, trying to figure out the right play to make and then there's some other times where, he, you know, our team needs a basket and he goes and gets one. So, he you know, gets ten points last game, and he comes back with thirty something here tonight. Um, you know, I think he's having a terrific year, and he's playing really, really well. And I, I think he's doing a really good job verbally on the bench and, and trying to lead and be that kind of player that that he wants to become. And it's it's encouraging to see that from him. His coach obviously is a, a pretty big fan of his as of right now. Yeah, and I think that that's the key thing we talked about is Zach mentioned after the game
1: on Monday night that Billy Donovan's not afraid to challenge him. You know, he doesn't do it in a confrontational, screaming way, but he points out mistakes that guys are making and and things that they need to adjust in their games. And I think Zach really does want to be part of a winning team. This is his seventh year in the league. He's never had a team that's gone to the playoffs or even had really close to a winning record. And I think he's just tired of all the losing. Those L's have piled up on, on his ledger over his career. And fair or unfairly, he's been given a big lion's share of the blame because he's been the best player, at least on these Bulls teams. So he's tired of it. He's heard all the criticism. You know, he looks around the league and he sees players like Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, who are elite scorers, but they haven't won anything either, really, on a larger scale. scale. And I think he feels, I'm really one of the best shooting guards in this entire league. And if I can get this team
0: to the playoffs, maybe people will start realizing that. All right. Now, one of the other players that he really seems to gel on the court at the same time when they're both out there, obviously, is Thaddeus Young. Let's hear from Thaddeus Young because he's obviously a leader uh, in the second unit, but he plays a lot with um, with Zach Levine. And he says Zach is becoming a leader both on and off the court.
1: I mean, Zach knows now that, you know, he's going to do his numbers. He's going to get what he needs to get, um, you know, for us throughout the course of the game because he's going to play with the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, The question is, can he get us involved and active into the game to help him out? And uh, he's been doing a really good job it. Last year, I used to tell him all the time, you know, um, Zach, you know, you know, let us help you out. And then in the fourth, hey, it's your show. Uh, we don't want to tie you out before we get to the fourth. That's when we really going to need you. And he's been doing that. You know, he's been doing a really good job of just executing and making sure that he makes the right plays and the right reads. But, you know, when he gets his guys and, and there's no double team, then he knows he can beat anybody one-on-one.
0: Yeah, so he's very complimentary, obviously, of Zach Levine, but you know what? We're going to give him some kudos also. Thaddeus Young, I wasn't really enthralled with how he played with the Bulls last year, but so far through the first 14 games, I'm telling you, he's playing some pretty damn good basketball himself. He's been very
1: good, and also he showed off his leadership in the comments we just heard where he said that, you know, I told Zach that you don't have to carry the team for the whole game, you know, wait till the fourth quarter when it's the most important, and that was a kind of a, not so uh, indirect way of saying pass the ball. You know, he said in there, you know, let us help you help me help you, you know, and, and that's all about moving the ball along. And I think that Thaddeus in his own way has probably had some, you know, very behind the scenes conversations with Zach saying, listen, you don't need to take 25, 30 shots a game, pass the ball, let us do some scoring in the first three quarters. And if it's close late, then you take over. And I think that's what a lot of the great ones do. They kind of bide their time and wait when it's You know, winning time as they say, the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. And I think Zach is is taking that to heart. You know, this isn't a great roster, but it has it has some depth to it. You know, when you look at it, they've got 10 or 12 guys who are legitimate NBA players, guys who can make open shots if you get them the ball in areas that they're most successful, you know, where their their analysis, their analytics would show that they're effective. And I think that Zach has been playing a lot with the ball in his hands because of the injuries at the point guard position. He's got his assist total up, and I think he's doing a you know a really nice job. And I think, as I mentioned, he's learning along the way, and he's got some veterans like Thad Young, like Garrett Temple, like Tomas Sadaransky who are telling him, hey, we're here to help. You're the best player on this team. Let us set you up in good situations, and don't be afraid to get us the ball back when we're open as well.
0: You know, Mark, great minds always think alike, and you and I are are definitely great minds when it comes to basketball. And, yeah, that's what I wrote down on my sheet uh, beyond talking about Zach Levine is that the Bulls have incredible depth going right now. And I think they do have a roster of 12, and and they're not all even healthy at one time. We're going into the weekend. Wendell Carter Jr. probably will not play in the game Friday night. He might play Saturday against the Lakers. We want to talk about LeBron in, in a couple of minutes also But they've gotten such contributions. Sadoransky hasn't been there. But then Denzel Valentine has filled in the role that maybe he's playing. And What you're seeing is that Billy Donovan is getting the most out of his roster. And that roster is pretty deep, Mark. And that's going to give them some wins, you know, that other teams right now, especially during COVID, are not able to put out on the court.
1: And it's going to be a different challenge now for Billy Donovan, assuming everyone can get back and, and stay healthy he's going to have to decide which players he's not going to use because there's no way you can play 12 guys on a regular basis in an NBA game. Some guys are going to have to sit. Obviously, the easy uh, move is to give the backup point guard minutes to Tomas Adaransky, and Ryan Archie Giacchino is just going to have to go over and sit down and be a practice player. The wing situation is going to be a little bit different because you've got Patrick Williams, you've got Otto Porter Jr., who will be coming off the bench, and then you play Denzel Valentine, who's looked pretty good in reserve minutes. Or do you get Chandler Hutchison back in the rotation? I think early on, at least for this upcoming weekend, I wouldn't be surprised if Valentine continues to get those extra minutes. And Chandler Hutchison is just gonna, they're gonna tell him, work in practice, get your conditioning back, and we'll get you in there when the matchups are more favorable. But right now, you know, they've got four solid veterans coming off the bench in Porter, Young, Saturansky, and Temple. And I think those four guys are going to get the bulk of the reserve minutes really for the rest of the season.
0: Well, it's a great problem for any coach, much less Billy Donovan. And I'm sure he's, you know, he, he will weed it out. He'll figure it out in in due time. But I like I said, it's a good problem. I want to go back to Zach Levine just for a second. And let's, let's hear from the horse's uh, mouth himself. Here's Zach Levine talking about becoming a better overall player.
1: I just feel like each and every year you have to learn something, you know, and my situation is different than, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, Obviously, you have to play the cards you were dealt, but, you know, learning each year what I I did good and what I still need to improve on and what, you know, what was missing to help me help my team win. And obviously, everybody wants to be the leader, but you're not just, you know, gifted with that. So you have to learn it. Um, And I feel like I've taken a step in the right direction and trying to, you know, be more unselfish, be more, you know, open with talking with teammates, watching film and things like that. And I feel like it's it's uh, it's, it's going well, and it's gonna continue to get better. The better I get
0: at it, fairly humble in that one, Mark. I mean, he knows he's a pretty talented guy, but he's fairly humble about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Zach obviously is very confident. Uh, that's never been an issue for him. He knows that he's an exceptional scorer, that he can get his shot off against any defender in the league. So he's not worried about getting his points. As we mentioned earlier. You know, the one big demerit on his career resume is his one loss record. And it's not all his fault, but until that changes, he'll never be recognized around the league as an all-star or a top 15, 20 player in the
0: league. And that's something he wants desperately. I want to go back to the roster, the, the fact that it's deep, Mark. And, and, you know, numbers always support your arguments when you talk about things. The Bulls right now have seven players averaging in double-figure scoring, and their eighth player is Garrett Temple, and he's been fantastic also, by the way, in a reserve role. He's scoring at 9.9, so basically they have eight players who are averaging in double-figure scoring. That that belies the depth on this roster. And I think that's a, a testament to
1: what Billy Donovan is trying to do with this offense, making sure that the ball moves Goes from side to side. You don't have just uh, two guys involved in a pick and roll, and three guys just standing around spotting up, hoping the ball might come to them. Uh, it's a you know, there's continuity in this offense. You see guys, you know, making a pass into the post and then cutting and going to the opposite corner. It's not just guys standing around waiting for the superstar to score. Yes, there will be possessions where they'll give the ball to Zach Levine and Kobe White and just kind of clear out and say go to work. But I think this offense is predicated on taking advantage of guys' strengths. We're seeing Wendell Carter Jr. being uh, more willing to take that mid-range jump shot. He's been averaging a double figures over the last seven or eight games. He's been doing a nice job on the offensive end. As I mentioned, Thaddeus Young is being used in the low post to both score and kick the ball back out to the three-point line. And Billy Donovan knows that he's got guys with varied abilities. You mentioned Garrett Temple. When they signed him as a free agent, you know I kind of scratched my head thinking, Why mm-hmm. would you bring in a 34-year-old journeyman wing player? Hey, now I know why. I mean, the guy's been exceptionally uh, effective for the Bulls. He shot the ball very well last season, and he's carried that over into this year. And, you know, even though you look at his record and it screams journeyman, he's been a very positive influence on this young Bulls team.
0: A lot better than I thought possible, to be honest with you. And he's he's played very well. You know, we talked a little bit about the COVID situation. Uh, you mentioned that Thomas Doransky and Chandler Hutchinson both were in the protocol, uh, Sadaransky and, and Hutchinson both actually had COVID themselves, um, and, and they're back in practice, and they'll both be utilized going forward. But I want to hear from both these guys, or I want the listeners to hear from both these guys. Let's start with Sadoransky, because the first time he sat out, and it's been very unfortunate for him, he was in the uh, quarantining because he was around other people, so he had to go in quarantining. And then the second time around, unfortunately for him, he actually came down with COVID. Here he is talking about the bad luck that he's had, but he's looking forward to going uh, uh, into the future. So obviously you're
1: trying to look for positive things. There wasn't many, but then I say like, okay, I, I'll be good for three more months you know, now with no POC testing and no more... Uh, you know, uh, league protocols. I, I won't be able, you know, to, to end up on isolation again for seven days. So, so that's a good thing. But uh, you know, we we were going into the league, and into the season, knowing that they, those are the risks that are we are taking. It's frustrating when you're trying to do everything possible because you have a home, a family home, and and you're trying to be uh, responsible, and you still get it. But like I said, I had to accept it. There's nothing more
0: you can do about it. And now uh, I'll enjoy that time with no POC testing and actually organize my time better. So obviously, Mark, he was pretty scared initially, especially for his family. But uh, now he knows the positive. He, he doesn't have to worry about it for a while, at least, I guess. Yeah, you remember last year he was one of the guys that was
1: anxious to get out of the country when the pandemic first hit, but he was stuck you know, kind of in Chicago, trying to wait to see what the resolution of the season was going to be. But as soon as he could get back to his native country, he left. And, you know, I I think that he probably was a little bit reluctant about coming back and and, and exposing himself to, you know, the dangers here in the United States. Uh, You know, he tested positive for the virus, but he didn't have extreme symptoms. He was away from the team for a long time. And And can you imagine that van ride they had back with uh, him and and, and a couple others, Archie Diacono and and a couple others had to come back for a 12-hour van ride from Washington, D.C.? I'm sure their minds were racing as as to what was awaiting them when they got back to
0: Chicago. Yes. Now, Sadoransky, he did have the COVID, but he did have the um, terrible symptoms. On the other hand, Chandler Hutchinson, who was stuck in the nation's capital for quite a while because of the symptoms. Anyway, let's hear from Chandler Hutchinson who says, yeah, he was pretty sick for a while.
1: Really, it was about 24 hours after I knew that I tested positive, kind of just basically a rough flu. Started with the fever, you know, chills at night, things like that, kind of lose your appetite here, uh, there. So, you know, it just, if I had to describe it, it was just basically kind of like a really tough flu. You know, when you get
0: hit by the flu, pretty hard it was like it was kind of like that so it's really strange Mark talking about COVID you know some guys you know and, and it's not just athletes obviously it's just in general some people can have almost no symptoms or be asymptomatic and some people can get really sick and, and unfortunately some people can even perish it's it's just a weird weird thing yeah and you know thankfully we haven't had any really extreme
1: cases in the NBA and Let's just hope that the numbers start to go down. I know that the positive test results for this week were slightly less than last week. And the league has taking a different approach now. You saw what they did with the Memphis Grizzlies where they just stepped in and they said their next three games are going to be postponed rather than trying to do contact tracing and isolate a player or two who may have tested positive. And I think this is a trend that you're going to see with the league going forward, especially through these brutal winter months. You might see in the second half of the season where the schedule hasn't even been released yet, teams are going to be playing a pretty heavy backlog of games, you know, some four and five night stretches trying to get to the finish line as close to 72 games as possible. And we may have a situation like we did in major league baseball, where maybe everyone doesn't get to the uh, required number of games. They'll try to get as close as possible and, you know, decide those playoff spots uh, based on winning percentage rather than one loss record.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, sports has just been weird in 2020, and it's carrying over to 2021. You, you mentioned Memphis. Their next game, at least scheduled now, is against the Bulls next week. Um, and and uh, let's see, Washington is going to miss six great games because of the whole pandemic. Right. And it's so weird. But here's another weird thing, Mark, because the NBA came out with a new rule. I think it's going to go into um, institutions starting today where they're going to have security guards like at half court and they're not going to allow the players to fraternize either before the game or after the game. And listen, I know the NBA is trying to do everything they can, but come on, how ridiculous is this? If you're going to play against somebody on the court for 40 some odd minutes and and you know beat up on each other and breathe all over each other, but now you're going to tell them that they can't shake hands either before or after the game. I, I, I don't know. This one's a stretch on me, Mark.
1: Yeah, you know, it kind of shows how little that we actually know about the virus and and how it's being spread. You know, you've got the best scientists and doctors in the world trying to figure this out. But I read something a couple of weeks ago where the NBA's doctors determined that, uh, you know, if a player is guarding another player for the bulk of the game, it still doesn't fall in the 15 minutes of close contact that would put you in danger. I mean, you know, they're sweating on each other. In some cases, they're bleeding on each other. I, I don't know. You know, we're all we're all just hoping for the best and you know for you and I who love basketball and all the people who are listening to us who love basketball we hope the season can continue in the best fashion possible but it is an enormous leap of faith to be running these professional sports leagues in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, You know to this point we've been pretty lucky you know in all the sports leagues there hasn't been anyone that was you know hospitalized for a long time or came close to dying thank God and hopefully that will will continue but we're still, you know, putting these athletes at a considerable amount of risk. And I'm sure that some of them, you know, when they lie awake at night and bed are wondering, is this really all worth it?
0: Yeah, I still wonder, Mark, honestly, if at some point when they have, uh, you know, the different stages of people getting the vaccinations, if they might underline and I'm not saying they will or even if they should. I'm just curious if they might just allow the pro athletes to get vaccinated sooner rather than later, only to try and keep the sports going, you know, because it is entertainment for the people who are sitting at home. And I'm just wondering if maybe something like that happens in all sports, obviously.
1: Well, we saw Charles Barkley
0: offer that opinion
1: recently, he? and he got he, he got shouted down pretty quickly on social media, where he said that uh, professional basketball players pay such a high tax rate that they should be get the first one, not the first ones, but they should get the vaccine before the the average person because they contribute so much in terms of tax dollars. Well, that opinion didn't fly very well with people who are trying to get back to their regular lives. And, you know, athletes contribute a lot to society. I think sports does a lot for the mental well-being of, of a lot of people like you and I, but you have to be careful in saying that, you know, they are, are more important than other uh, segments of society that contribute in their own way and right now the focus is on taking care of the frontline workers the health professionals you know people who are over 70 years old and um, that's the way it's going to have to be I, I think that because of the fact that sports contributes so much to the American way of life there will be a point where maybe they do jump the line a little bit but you have to be careful as to how far you take
0: that. No, you're right, of course. Um all right, let's let's take a look. We're recording this on Thursday. Um the Bulls have games on both Friday and Saturday. Friday they go against Charlotte and it's going to be our first chance to see LaMelo Ball in person or on TV in this instance. You know, what can you say about him so far?
1: Very impressive. You know, he came into the draft with people saying he's one of the most creative passers that we've seen in a long time and he certainly lived up to that billing. He's had some fantastic plays where he'll, Grab a, a rebound off the defensive board and throw it three quarters of the length up the court to a, to a slashing player. He's also had great chemistry on alley oops with Miles Bridges, the high flyer from Michigan State, PJ Washington, and some of their other bigs. You know, they play an exciting style now. The thing has been interesting to me is that they play 14 games and LaMelo Ball has come off the bench in all 14. His stats are pretty good. He's not shooting the ball at a high clip, about 40% from the field. He's kind of got a a funny jumper like his brother, Lonzo. I I mean, obviously that's the way that they were taught growing up. But he's an exciting open court player, great in transition. He can get steals. He can lead the fast break. And for a team in a small market like Charlotte that, you know, is hoping to increase their profile, I think he was an excellent draft pick for them.
0: Oh, no question about that. Uh, it is uh, ironic because nobody in the ball family, and I'm sure that includes daddy also can shoot the basketball from the outside, but yes, they, they are exciting to to watch. Definitely. All right. Then on Saturday, of course, it's LeBron. Uh, I always look forward to LeBron coming here, whether he was in a Miami uniform or a Cleveland uniform. And now of course in a Lakers uniform, because I mean, he's one of the all time greats it just goes without saying And it's still amazing that he is still um, at the top of his game. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week. Maybe he doesn't jump as high. Maybe he doesn't run as fast. But he's still top three or four players, if not number one or two in in the world. So here comes the old argument. And we've done this so many times, Mark. But we'll do it one more time. Michael. this won't be the last time we do it, believe me. (laughs) Okay, this will be the last time. (laughs) I promise. Michael LeBron. Michael's always going to be number one in my book, and I think in yours as well. But, you know, I'll let you speak for yourself. And I'm jaded. I saw every one of Michael Jordan's games, most of them up close and personal at center court. Um, LeBron is great. No ifs, ands, or buts. But Michael did it on one team. LeBron has done it in three, and he recruited other players to play with him. So that alone makes Michael, to me, the greatest player of all time.
1: No argument for me. Obviously, LeBron has been a fantastic general manager and recruiter as well as the, one of the best players of all time. And what he did uh, in forming the Super Friends in Miami and going back to Cleveland and, and basically ordering that Andrew Wiggins got traded for Kevin Love. And then, of course, he goes to Los Angeles and his buddy Rich Paul orchestrates a trade that for Anthony Davis to come to the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, he's done a great job assembling all-star-type rosters. I mean, even you look at what they did this summer – they got Dennis Schroeder for, for next to nothing, and, and he's been a huge upgrade at point guard. They got Montrez Harrell at a bargain rate, who was the reigning sixth man of the year, and he's been a big upgrade in terms of what he can bring to that Laker bench. Yeah, I mean, LeBron is, is one of the greatest players of all time. He's done a fantastic job of assembling all-star casts around him. And, you know, you look at his record in the finals, he's four and six now. I would dare say I think he's going to win championship number five this year. And we'll see that if he can equal Michael with six, you know, the younger generation will certainly argue that LeBron's better because he's going to pass Kareem as the all-time leading scorer before he's done. He'll have all the counting stats that will be uh, superior to Jordan. And then it's just a you know question of who your preference is and what generation you're from. You and I watched Michael win those championships, go a perfect 6-0 and in the finals and win all six finals MVPs. And, you know, so we're a little bit jaded in that regard. But LeBron has lost six times in the finals. You can say, well, he got 10 teams to the finals, but he did lose six times. It's just an argument that people will have, you know, long after we're gone. And, you know, there, hopefully there'll be another player that comes along to enter that conversation. But for now, you look at, at uh, Michael and LeBron, for me, those are the two best, along with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You could throw Bill Russell in that conversation as the greatest winner of all time. Magic Johnson is the greatest point guard of all time. You know, it just depends on on your generation and what your preference is. But I know for you and I and for, I would guess, most of the listeners of our podcast, MJ's number one.
0: Yeah, again, great minds think alike. And once again, I was going to ask you here, if you had to put five players, and they don't all have to be at different positions like the one, two, three, four, and five, but if you had to put five players as the best of all time on on a first team team, who would your five be? Well, it
1: would be it would be LeBron and Michael. It would be then I'd take the three big men. I'd go Kareem, Wilt, and Bill Russell. I think those if you just throw positions
0: out, those would be my top five. What about you? Okay. And and on four of the five, I do agree with you. And and I, it's hard to argue, of course, Bill Russell because he is obviously the all time winner, and he even one as a coach on top of it uh, as a I think it was a player coach when he won, wasn't it? Player coach, yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I think I would throw magic in there just to replace Bill Russell, but you can't go wrong either way. And, and listen, we're we're bypassing so many other great names. We talked about Oscar Robertson. Oscar was, you know, again, at the tail end, even before he came to the Bucks, he was a triple-double machine. He's the one who invented the damn triple-double. There's so many other great players. We're not even talking about Larry Bird in this thing. And, and I saw Bird in college. Before he even came to the pros, I was I was mesmerized by him at Indiana State. And then he came to the pros and just, you know, made everybody look foolish at different times. He wasn't athletically like some of these other players, but he was one of the greatest of all time. That's what makes basketball so much fun as a kid and as a young adult. And now as an old fogey, I just love the damn sport. Yeah, and you, and
1: yeah, I'm sure you would have got to eventually, but you didn't mention Kobe, who would be in my top ten. You know, of course. won five championships, one of the elite one-on-one players of all time, who we who lost tragically last year. Um, you know, he was one of the all-time greats. Then you go to so many great big men. You go Shaquille O'Neal and Hakeem Olajuwon and Moses Malone. It used to be a big man's league, but now it's it's changed to a perimeter league with uh, you know guys like Steph Curry becoming so successful.
0: All right. You know, uh, last two segments we're going to do here before we get out of here today. Um, We go back in time. You and I have covered the Bulls for, again, three to four decades. So we have a lot of memories. I'll let you lead off today. One of your memories covering the Bulls all over all these years. Yeah, I was thinking about this
1: uh, getting ready for the show. And and I like to try to take something off the court whenever we can, because that's something that uh, most of our listeners don't get to experience. And the Bulls still do this. But back in the day, they used to have a, a bowling party for sponsors over at right. Deerfield Lanes. Right. Remember, they practiced at the multiplex, which was yeah. in the health club that that any uh, you know average guy in Deerfield could walk into and then kind of peek in on the bulls practicing. Well, I remember uh, the first one I covered. Um, I had covered practice earlier in the day at the multiplex, and we got a bunch of interviews. And you know, uh, I think Tim Weigel, yeah, definitely was Tim Weigel at the time, he was the sports director over at Channel Seven. He goes. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to need you to hang out there. Uh, They're going to have this uh, bowling party later at night. And I'm like, oh, great. i got to hang out in Deerfield for four hours and wait for this party. And, you know, I I really didn't know what to expect because it was the first one that I was asked to go to. And this was another example of Michael Jordan's fierce competitiveness. All the players were basically required to be there back then. Attendance kind of dwindled as the years went on. But for this particular one, I think just about all the players were there. And back then the players used to imbibe a little bit, you know, they, they were having some drinks and having a good time. And then Michael started getting really loud, shouting down everybody, trying to heckle people while they're bowling. And he was really going after Cliff Levingston, who was telling the rest of the team that he was the best bowler and he was going to wipe the floor with everybody. And Cliff is trying to bowl and he's yelling at him. Yeah, you brought your own ball and your own shoes and you think you're so great. I'm going to beat you blankety blank blank. And, and he was just heckling him the whole time. I forget who won that particular bowling competition. I don't think it was Cliff or Michael. But afterwards, you know, that was one of the rare times where the, you know, us Jamokes in the media could actually mingle with the great Bulls players and and they would all congregate around the bar. And it was pretty interesting because, you know, after you know, when guys have a few drinks in them, you get some of the real truth. Right. And I remember that was the only time that I not the not the only time, one of the few times I asked an athlete for an autograph. I got Michael to sign that famous poster of the dunk contest where he's flying through the air. And that's proudly displayed. It's the only Jordan autograph I have, and obviously I'll, I'll treasure that forever.
0: Actually, Scott Williams won a couple of those bowling tournaments. And if you remember, you know, his first three years in the NBA, he won three championships albeit sort of, a, you know, not sort of, he was in a very reserved role, but uh, yeah, he won those bowling championships. I, I went to a lot of those bowling parties because first of all, they gave us some, um, you know, shirts or jackets every year. Yeah. Listen, I do you know, most of my closet is, still has a bunch of those uh, in there and the food was good and the drinks were especially yeah. good. Of course, um,
1: We never turned that down, David.
0: No, of course not. I mean, that's the reporter's skill is to get free food and drink. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that I, I'll always remember from those parties was Marcus Pfizer one time showed up. I don't know if you were there that day. Marcus Pfizer had all these exotic snakes and, and other, I don't know, he yeah. had a zoo license or something. And he came with this giant yellow, I don't know what the hell it was, snake that was wrapped around his neck like a boa, you know, like a, a, a tire. So that's one of the things I remember. The, the story I'm going to tell you is uh, with Scottie Pippen, actually, and it's off the court as well. Actually, it was at the Birdo Center. And this was um, Scotty when uh, John Paxson brought him back, basically, to be like a mentor at the end of his career, and then, you know, retire as a bull or whatever. And so they, they finally announced his retirement. And it was at practice or after practice one day, sort of a weird story. Um, and so it was a press conference, yada, yada. And I believe we had the Bulls on the station that year. So I was the first one to get him on the air after the press conference in a cell phone. And I don't remember honestly, or if I do, I don't even want to say who the guy back in the studio was, but my job was to get the athlete on the air. And I did. Um, And then I think the first question that was asked of him you know, and Mark, you and I know how to do this. You you throw a softball question initially just to sort of like pucker up a little bit. And then you can come with any kind of hard question if you want. But the first question out of the box was, what about that 1.8 <laughs> And And Pippin was so pissed off that he looked at the phone. He looked at me. He threw the phone at me. He literally threw the, my yeah. cell phone at me and stormed away. And I go oh, shh, blank. Um, I guess he doesn't want to do this anymore. And he, he just stormed away. Well, to his credit, and maybe because he knew that I didn't ask him the question, he came back to me the next day. It wasn't that day, but the next day. And he apologized to me, which I thought was big of him. And Scotty he was a pretty moody guy. He was up and down. Um, but that was my one of my memories that that you know what, if you get, and I had that happen to me more than once where, you know, when you're out in the field, it's kill the messenger. It's not the person who's right. back in the studio. And so, yeah, that was unfortunately my bad memory that day.
1: Yeah. I think we could tell Scotty Pippen stories just about every week on the show because he was, he was very surly at times. He, he basically uh, suffered the media. He didn't get along with the media. So, Yeah. We'll have more Scotty Pippen stories as we go along.
0: Oh, no question. All right. The last segment here, we did pizza last week. Chicago's known for two foods that are fatty. One of them is pizza. The other one is hot dogs. And I'm a connoisseur of hot dogs. I don't know if you are or not, but what is your favorite hot dog? There's so many hot dog stands in Chicago.
1: Yeah. You know, that's not one of my passions, David. Obviously um, you are gonna have hot dogs at home. (laughs) I mean, I, there are a lot of great stands that, that, that make uh, the Chicago-style hot
0: dogs. And I, I've sampled a couple, but that's, that's not something I go out of my way to find. Okay. Well, first of all, if you cover sports, you know, anytime you're at a sporting event, basically baseball more than anything else, there's always hot dogs in the back of the press box. Right. You can O.D. on those. And there was a, a writer, I won't say his name, that who every time he came to a game, he ate 10 of them. I mean, and he wasn't even fat, to be honest with you. I don't know how he. Well, then again, you got that guy who's uh, I don't know what is his name at at Coney Island every year who uh, who eats sixty or seventy hot dogs. What's his name? Right. Whatever. Well, yeah, his name. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but yeah, he wins it every year. Okay, but anyway, so yeah, you can't eat hot dogs at the stadium because they're horrible. But my favorite hot dog stand in Chicago is Super Superdog. Um, there's two locations. There's one that's in the city, and then there's one, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, that's very close to me up here in the Burbs. And it's too close to me because I'm so tempted to go there all the damn time. And if you just drive by there, you put on a pound, unfortunately. But the hot dogs are so good. And pa- people in Chicago, Mark, are so passionate about uh, hot dogs and pizza. Of course, in, in Milwaukee, it'd be beer. So, what you know, <laughs> I have to ask you, what's your favorite beer? Well, I'll tell you what, I was
1: uh, an expert at uh, knowing the times of the different brewery tours. And back then, uh, <laughs> Miller, Paps and Schlitz were all going strong. So if you were smart and timed it out right, you could get free samples at three different breweries in the same afternoon. It made for an early bedtime, but it was a whole lot of fun.
0: You know what? That's why you made a good reporter, because you learned early on how to get free. <laughs> <food>. <laughs> That's right. You have to plan your schedule intelligently. And I was able to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, good talking to you today. We, we sort of veered away from basketball a little bit, but that's what this thing is all about. We're not going to talk about basketball hundred percent of the time, but most of it was. And, and like I said earlier on, the Bulls are playing some pretty good basketball and it's much better to cover a team that's playing at least decent basketball. I mean, I just remember after the Jordan years, which was basically the penthouse, And then the Tim Floyd years, which is basically the outhouse, and it's much better being in the penthouse than the outhouse. So I'm not saying the Bulls are either one of those right now, but they are playing some better basketball.
1: Yeah, they are trending in the right direction, and that's what we wanted to see with the new front office and the new coaching staff. Uh, Like the development of Patrick Williams, he's been a pleasant surprise through 14 games, and uh, we heard that he practiced on Thursday, so he should be available to play in both games this weekend, which is a good thing. And, you know, I I think Billy Donovan's done a really nice job with this team. They've got some tough games coming up. Uh, The Lakers on Saturday, they have to play Boston early next week. And we'll see how realistic it is going to be in terms of whether this team can, can contend for a playoff spot. But that's way down the road. For now, we're just enjoying the basketball and the fact that it looks like the
0: arrow is pointing up. Absolutely. I always enjoy doing this with you, Mark, and we'll do it again next week. Sounds good, David. Be well. You as well. And take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.